It's time for Decal Download, your source for news and information from the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning. We'll hear from Commissioner Amy M. Jacobs and special guests to give you an update on all things Decal. This is Decal Download. Downloading now. And welcome back to Decal Download. I'm Reg Griffin, Chief Communications Officer for the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning. Here, as always, with Commissioner Amy Jacobs. Each year, DECAL's child care services consultants conduct more than 14,500 visits to more than 4,500 licensed child care programs in Georgia to ensure that they are caring for children in safe, healthy, and nurturing environments. But when COVID-19 hit Georgia in March and the number of open child care programs dropped to 30%, the scope of those visits changed. Another example of necessity is the mother of invention. And Commissioner, our team immediately started working on something they call virtual visits. This was back in April and May. They sure did. They are um, incredibly creative and innovative, uh, knowing that we needed to continue to monitor the health and safety of childcare in Georgia, even though things looked a lot differently and we needed to try to be respectful and control exposure for our own staff and then for childcare. And so they quickly got to work on what virtual visits would look like for childcare licensing. And if you're listening, uh, you may be wondering, what is a virtual visit? We are so glad you asked that question. We're going to answer that today. Here to talk about uh, virtual visits in Georgia Child Care Programs is Pam Stevens, Deputy Commissioner for Child Care Services, and two of her directors of CCS Field Operations. That's Dana Morrison and Rhonda Parker. Ladies, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Rhonda, let's start by explaining the two visits you conduct every year to a licensed child care program. I think people need to understand that if they don't already. You do licensing studies and monitoring visits. How do those normally work? Right. Each fiscal year uh, with the state, which goes from July 1st to June 30th, um, the statute requires frequent monitoring to the licensed child care learning centers and our family child care learning homes. And we have those two types of visits that you uh, mentioned already that we conduct. One is a licensing study, which consists of an evaluation of all the rules that governs a child care learning center and family child care learning home. And the other type is a visit is a monitoring visit, which only consists of an abbreviated visit that focus only on core rules and any previous rule violations. So this is how licensed programs are monitored throughout Georgia. And those are separated by about six months. Is that right? I know they're unannounced, but they're separated by about six months. Yes, that is correct. So COVID-19 comes along in February and March. It feels like it came out of nowhere and it impacts the world for everyone. Um, As we watch very closely, many childcare programs close. We got as low as 30% remaining open. So how did that impact uh, our annual in-person visits? So um, it totally, yeah, it totally impacted our in-person visits because um, the last thing a child care program wanted when they were very much trying to protect children and protect families and protect their staff is to have a child care consultant going from program to program in and out of buildings. It just was completely unsafe. So um, we really had to, and, and like you said, it, it felt like it came out of nowhere. We had to immediately um look at our practices and find a new way of doing business. Because again, like Reg said earlier, you know, we are mandated 
to make sure that we're monitoring childcare programs. And on top of that, our childcare licensing consultants have really good relationships with the providers they serve. We also needed to offer support during this time. They needed a lot of information around, you know, what should we be doing? This is a whole new world. How do we keep our kids and our families and our staff safe? So we, you know, uh, our first job was to be a resource, and that's what we did first. We collected resources, and we called programs, and we offered support, and then we developed this virtual monitoring system so we could still monitor programs without increasing exposure at the same time. And, you know, and I will say also, we wanted to keep our staff safe. The last thing we wanted was you know, these consultants who we value so much going in and out of programs constantly. And, and there is one con type of visit that we had to continue to do, and that's a complaint visit. You know, if childcare is open, there's always the risk that some a child could be hurt or something could happen. And we, you know, felt it was always important to make sure that any investigative work we needed to do um, to ensure the safety of children, that that continued. So Dana, let's talk about a virtual visit. What's involved in a virtual visit to a childcare program? So what's involved is is just what is called a virtual visit. And I'm doing air quotes, but you guys can't see me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's basically we're vir virtually visiting the program and reviewing the requirements of the COVID-19 checklist, which was developed based on the mandates that were put in place by the governor's executive order. We're also reviewing any core rule areas such as safe sleep, hygiene, and discipline. And then we're also following up on any previous citations that can be observed at that time. Because we're in a different space due to COVID-19, these visits are condensed compared to our in-person visits with programs. We wanted to try to make it as easy as possible on our providers and the consultants because it is a different venue. Um, it does involve a platform called GoToMeeting in which the provider will click on a link sent to them by their consultant, and then they're going to have dialogue about the practices that have been put in place while at the same time allowing the consultant to see inside of their program without physically being in the program. All of this is occurring on video. So that's our short summary of what a virtual visit is. There is definitely an element of surprise in the traditional visits to childcare programs as they are always unannounced. But is that possible with a virtual visit, Pam? Um, no. And, it, you know, eventually it might be if we decide to, you know, keep on doing this and, you know, no one knows what's going to happen in the future with the virus. But this was a big ask of childcare programs to say, we need you to learn this brand new technology and we need you to learn it now. So we thought, you know, it's only fair. They can't be just sitting at their desk waiting at any moment that we could pop in with a virtual visit. That didn't seem fair. And one of the reasons for that is that when we typically visit a child care program, it can be a surprise because the staff can go about their business and do their work while we walk around the building and observe things and, and check on paperwork and that kind of thing. With a virtual visit, we need someone to hold a device. So we're very much interrupting their work to do this. And so uh, we thought it was completely reasonable that we would schedule these visits and get everybody comfortable with the technology. Again, these providers are under a lot of stress right now. This has not been an easy situation for them at all. And the last thing we wanted to do was to make everything worse. And so um, this seems, you know, our response from the providers has been very positive. They appreciate our flexibility and they appreciate our willingness to work with them. So at this point, we think not being a surprise visit is really the fair and, and right thing to do. 
it is something new in the middle of a very interesting time. So I yes, think that's yes. very understanding on yeah. the part of everybody. Rhonda, let's talk about reactions to the program. First, from our staff, uh, how is that going? And then how have providers uh, responded overall? Um, sure. So, uh, Reg, actually, the reaction uh, we received from the CCS team has been truly remarkable. Of course, we've had some challenges with navigating the technology platform and just the newness of being on camera. But, of course, once that was underway and the consultants felt comfortable, the consultants have welcomed this new approach with conducting these virtual visits. Um, the new approach gave the consultants an opportunity to still be able to interact with the providers and still provide that oversight that we need to do as a state agency. And so from the provider's um, perspective and response, what we've heard, the feedback that we've gotten from that provider community, um, they have really welcomed and received this new alternative method of conducting the visits. Um, consultants have shared comments such as the provider felt like they were in control of the visit, the visit was less stressful in a sense of not having to wait on the consultant to conduct their walkthrough and then type the report. So we've heard both positive feedback from both the consultants and the providers. So it's going well. Hey, Reg, can I, I want to chime in on that kind of an interesting thing with our team. Um, you know, that that has been some common feedback from our providers about they it's make it's nerve wracking when your provider and the consultants there and she's completed her visit and she's typing up her report and you just have to sit there and wait for her to finish typing up the report because you're just praying that nothing else happens while she's there. You know, that nothing, you know, nothing like it's gone pretty well. You feel good. And you just want it to be over. And I expressed that during one of our, when we were talking about virtual visits and one of our other directors, Catherine Broussard said, I was your consultant when you were a provider, Pam. So now I know how you really felt about me. You wanted me out of there. Like, yeah, absolutely right. I did. I wanted it to be over. So <laughs> it's kind of a. So we, we can see this from both sides. In other words. So you can perform a virtual visit with either smartphone, an iPad, or a laptop. There are many different devices and choices. But what I'm hearing um, is phones are the most popular. Dana, can you tell me about how that's going? Yes. So we did find that smartphones are the easiest to use, and that's because they're lightweight. You can hand hold them in your hand, and they can be used to easily walk around a program or in your home while on the video platform. Um, they are more mobile, for lack of a better word, than having to carry around a laptop or um, a large iPad that does not or may not have a back camera. And so you would end up having to turn the, the computer around or turn the iPad around to try to pan the room, whereas a smartphone, you can just flip the camera and it automatically does it and you don't have to do very much uh, maneuvering. Um, and so that's, that seems to be the easiest way for our programs and the providers during our walkthrough. This is very interesting to me because it is something that's very unique. And uh, again, we've said on a couple of these podcasts, we know government is not always known as being the most flexible, but this is a great example of taking uh, a bad situation and, and turning it into something uh, good uh, for providers and for uh, the children and families uh, here in Georgia. Pam, we're also hearing nap time is the best time for a CCS virtual visit. Well, yeah, because that's when the provider might actually have a few minutes <laughs> to take a device and walk around um, the building. You know, you have to remember, too, we're uh, working also with family child care providers where they may be the only caretaker. We are asking if you are the only caretaker that you do have someone there to help you 
because, you know, the, the first priority for all of us is that the children are being taken care of. But nap time, if there's ever a calm time at childcare, it is during nap time, but childcare is a very busy place. And again, we're trying to be really accommodating to providers who are learning this new technology and have been so flexible to work with us. And, you know, when you, and we were talking a minute ago about knowing, understanding this from both sides, um, we understand how challenging it can be to do things virtually as well. Um, I am currently doing this podcast virtually outside because I have dogs inside who make noise. And while Dana was just talking, my notes blew away. And so while she was talking, I was running across my yard. So, um, <laughs> you know, we have to understand it's like that. It's like that for them too. This isn't easy. This is new. And, uh, so again, if they we're letting them choose the time of day and we're letting them schedule these just because uh, we're learning this together. Definitely. Appreciate your transparency, Pam. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's like we're all having those experiences. Uh, yeah, I completely understand. I'll tell you, it's one time in my life that I'm glad I don't have a pet to have to worry about that, but I have two children. So there you go. Um, so it's early in the process, but at this point, do you feel that the virtual visits are as thorough and as effective as traditional in-person visits when it comes to protecting the health and safety of children and care payment? I know we've talked about this, um, a little bit as well. Sure. Um, you know, I don't think anything will ever take the place of an in-person visit. I think the relationships are important. I think being there is important. But what we are going to learn from this, and we're working with our research team as well to find out what we can monitor well virtually, because there are certain things we feel pretty sure we can do well virtually, and that there are other things that really that will be done best in person. And research is going to help us, you know, to find out how effective these virtual visits have been and how we can do them better in the future if we need to. When you, where there's actually two phases to the virtual visits. So one is an administrative phase where um, they electronically, the providers, send in all the paperwork we typically review in person. We feel like that's going to be pretty much the same. We're going to, we feel like, you know, reviewing the paperwork virtually is going to be almost exactly the same as viewing it in person. And, and that may be something that we decide to keep in the future. Um, I think that we're going to find that we can actually do a lot of decent technical assistance virtually. You know, when programs are having trouble with things, I think that's going to be pretty effective. I think we can check on previous rule violations pretty effectively. We can check on ratios and, um, you know, we're taking a look at the room and, and we're scanning the whole room and we can, we can see how things are going and get a feel for that. So there'll be some things we can do well. There'll be some things that we're going to realize that, you know, you just, you know, you, I still believe you can never take the place of a an in-person visit, but we'll see. I think the research is going to be interesting. Mm -hmm. And Rhonda, how many virtual visits have been conducted at this point? Um, as of June 3rd, our regional consultants have conducted a total of 365, 61 administrative review visits, which is phase one, um, that phase that Pam was talking about that dealt with just the document paperwork. And the consultants are definitely on target to complete phase two of that virtual visit um, piece, which Dana spoke about. And uh, we are on target to complete that by June 30th. And that's only seven days away. So we're very proud of what all we've accomplished in the short period of time. And I think, Rhonda, did we have like 425 that we were trying to complete? Is that the right number? 
That's correct, uh, Pam. We um, identified 425 licensing or programs who were open that needed a licensing study. And of that 425, um, there were a small pot of um, programs that had um, some difficulties or challenges with technology that we were unable to complete um, those. And so, but you're absolutely correct. We had identified 425 to complete who were opened. So Pam, I'm glad I get to ask you this question because I'm sure you have the answer. Um, any idea when we'll return to in-person visits? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Amy. What do you think? Um, I know, right? <laughs> so I think I, I think we're meeting about that. We're having discussions around that at Decal. Again, we certainly don't want to do anything that gets in the way of flattening the curve of the virus. You know, so you know, I think we'll be looking at a lot of information. We'll be looking at local um, numbers around the virus. We will be looking at school system decisions and we'll all work together to, to figure this out. We don't know yet, um, but I think, you know, everything we do at DECAL is data-driven and evidence-based. And that's what we'll be looking at to uh, make these decisions. Yeah, I agree. And I, th- I think virtual is going to be part of our new routine in some form or fashion. Yeah. It's just going to be a balancing act, but talk a little bit about how we're handling the investigations of complaints that come in. So uh, some of the complaints that in the investigations that we're doing are self-reported by providers and we're able to get a lot of that information virtually. So we're using the virtual piece for some of our investigations as well. And that's going well for complaints where someone else has reported a problem at a child care center, either a child was hurt or, you know, someone is uncomfortable with something that has happened. Those are the visits we're doing in person and we have established a protocol again, to minimize and mitigate anything that could, uh, you know, expose anyone to, um, to, to anything that they don't want at their program. And some of that involves, um, we have our complaint consultants only doing one visit a week, so that they're not going in and out of programs. We don't have a lot of complaints right now. All of childcare has not opened back up. We are requesting, uh, letting the providers know what we need to look at ahead of time so they have it ready for us. We are requesting outdoor meetings um, if we, you know, when we do interviews and that type of thing with teachers and staff. Um, We're wearing PPE and we're asking them to do the same. And so, again, we haven't had to do a lot of these visits. We're being very careful. But, you know, again, when someone complains that someone's uncomfortable with something that's happened to a child at a program, we have to respond in person. You know, it's interesting when you picture our folks doing virtual visits and we talked about the iPads, the uh, smartphones and uh, laptops and that kind of thing. Someone said for consultants who are sensitive to motion, this can be a little difficult, kind of like the late 90s movie, The Blair Witch Project. Dana, what are you hearing from our folks? That's actually um, a great uh, description of what our consultants or the providers may see during this process. And for those that have not seen the movie, is the best way to describe it is to have a GoPro camera attached to your body and then you're running around with it. And so the viewer, the only thing that the viewers can see is what the camera attached to you shows. So if a provider or consultant moves too quickly to pan a room or um, quickly spins a device around, um, especially if it's something like a computer, it could cause motion sickness. Um, So that's why it's important that our team works with our providers to let them know, take your time, 
pan the phone and tablet around slowly. There's no need to rush with anything. We know and understand that this is a different way to do a visit. So we don't want them to feel rushed and we want them to know that we're here for them and we're doing this on their time as well as ours. So we're going to take it as slowly as we can so no one gets sick in the process. <laughs> that was probably an unintended consequence, right? A, a virtual visit. Absolutely. I didn't think about it at the beginning. <laughs> I guess my GoPro not idea was not that good then. <laughs> So um, <laughs> uh, when we were early in the process, like, let's just send everybody a GoPro. That will just solve all of our problems. But it sounds like it's much easier. Yeah, we thought we could put the GoPro on the kids. <laughs> yeah, that would be an interesting <laughs> viewpoint for sure. Um, okay. <laughs> Pam, um, you've answered this a little bit, but anything else on, do you think this is something that we'll continue to utilize after COVID-19 is gone? And we all hope it will be gone eventually. That's for sure. You know, I think we will for sure. And I think um, I think a couple things are going to happen. I think we, you know, we might get a little bit better in COVID might rear its ugly head again and we'll, we'll be going right back to this. But I think even when everything is back to normal, we're going to take what we learned from this. And I think we're going to be even better because one of the things that we know is that a lot of time during our visits, we are, you know, we're spending a lot of time reviewing paperwork, this administrative piece. And, you know, there are criminal background checks, there are teacher credentials, there's all these things that are hugely important that we need to check. But it might not be so support, important that we're sitting in your building doing that. And so in the future, if we decide to move forward with this and let them do this administrative piece electronically, that will really open up our visits to offer a lot more support to providers and give them a lot more TA. And, and I think it could really change the nature of our visits in a really, really good way, in a way that I think providers will enjoy as well. So we're looking forward to that. And there may be other pieces we want to do virtually. There may be a way to um, look at some of our highest performing providers and look at doing part of their, more of their visits virtually, not the whole visit, but part of it. I mean, there's just, this really opens up a lot of doors for us. And um, we're actually pretty excited. And I got to say, you know, I just got to take a minute to say that this team, our team, CCS, has done an amazing job on this. They worked so quickly and so efficiently at getting this work done. And one of the things I've been really impressed with is the way that they have prepared the providers and the consultants. They had so many resource materials and everything was really personal calls to providers from consultants. Hey, I'm going to walk you through this. Let me hold your hand through this. And um, I, I'm just amazed and thrilled at what they've done, what this team has done. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And Rhonda, this is still new. So if providers have questions about virtual visits, who should they contact? I'm sure. If a provider has a question about the virtual visit process, they can always reach out to their assigned regional consultant for their county. And the consultant's contact information can be found on the front cover page of the provider's recent visit report. And or always, they can always contact the Child Care Licensing Consultant of the Day, Monday through Friday from 8 to 5 at 404-657-5562. And Pam, I want to remind folks, we've got the COVID-19 page on our website at decal.ga.gov. And I'm looking at some information right now that with 4,349 Georgia licensed child care providers reporting, we have now 2,000. 423 that are open and serving families. So we're above the 50% mark yep. at this point. Yep. That's a, that's a really good thing for families. 
So check that out if you have any questions there. And uh, we're so glad to see uh, programs. As you know, these were essential businesses that could remain open or closed during the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, we're just so excited to see folks coming back uh, from a very difficult time and able to serve children. Uh, Pam, one other question that I know we get a lot on social media. What is our rule on PPE in these programs? Should the children be wearing masks? Should the teachers be wearing masks? Can you give us a quick uh, description on that? This is fun because we call this the Reg bonus question. The question <laughs> that we didn't know was coming, you know, but this, it's an easy one. Thank goodness this time it's an easy one. Um, no, so we are really, really leaving that up to providers um, to make that decision based on the children that they serve. Now, the person, we are requiring programs to do health checks as children enter the building. So that person who's doing the health checks has to wear PPE. Once you get inside the building, you know, a lot of programs are having older children wear masks and the teachers wear masks. You know, we definitely don't want children under three wearing masks because that's dangerous. So we, we don't want that at all. Um, again, you know, when even for children three and older, wearing a mask um, may be more germy than not wearing a mask in that, you know, a three-year-old, you know, I can't even imagine, I mean, they, you know, what's inside that mask. And, and they also have a tendency to take the mask off and leave it in strange places, like the top of the slide or in the, you know, dramatic play area. And so if teachers are having to gather up a bunch of masks and try to find what mask goes with what child. I mean, it could really get complicated. They could spend a lot of time on it. And what we're hoping for, for children and families is because we put all these rules in place, because we're making sure that they're being as careful as they can. The childcare, once you get there, feels as normal as possible. It needs to feel like childcare. It needs to feel like the loving, supportive, supportive place it's always been. And, you know, for really young children, a mask can look really, really scary. So, you know, providers know their families and they know their children and they know what's best. So once they get in the building, we're letting them make that decision. And the group sizes were as low as 10. Am I remembering that correctly? 10 people in a class, including the teacher? Right. Yes. And now, and now that's, you know, slowly that's gone up. It went from 10 to 20, uh, 10 to 25. And then now it's at 50. Um, so, you know, for most classrooms that, you know, 50 is way above what they would have. Some of our school age classrooms are bigger than 50 students. So um, that has increased over time and it's made that a little bit easier for the providers. And one last commonly asked question just for you since we have you this week. Um, the recommendation is still to feed children in the classrooms. Right, right. Again, we're trying to make sure that these groups of children stay together, just those kids, the whole day that they're in childcare, so that we're not, you know, again, reducing exposure. This is what this is all about. So we're asking you know, that they uh, eat in their classrooms instead of having communal eating areas. And also when they're on the playground, we want one group at a time out, out on the playground and then uh, the equipment to be cleaned and wiped down for the next group. Again, you know, these are all the things that we all need to be doing to so that this can be in our past. Absolutely. We're hoping it ends this afternoon. That would be great, but probably not. So we're going to have a little while to go through this. Ladies, this is fascinating to me. Thank you so much for uh, being with us today. And good luck to not only you guys, but our entire CCS team as you continue to work in person and virtually to better serve the children and families here in Georgia. We really appreciate it. 
Thank you. Thank you, Reg. We appreciate the opportunity. Now your questions from the water cooler. Hi, my name is Paula Lawrence, and I work in nutrition here in um, Atlanta. My question for the commissioner is about COVID-19. I have a son diagnosed with asthma and Crohn's disease, and though I may not be in that medical vulnerabilities bracket myself, my concern is for my son whenever we open up again and we have to um, come back to the office. Also, there are still uncertainties about the virus. I do ride the train, the express, and the express bus. So I'm really concerned on our return to the office and how it's going to affect my son. Paula, that's a very valid question, and I can completely understand um, your concern with the health of um, your son. And we are definitely going to be um, as flexible as possible with all of our um, decal staff members. Um, if you'll remember, we've already sent out a a survey trying to capture that data with any um, of our decal staff members that have any concerns, uh, especially due to health issues um, around coming back to the office. Uh, we've been very fortunate that we've been able to um, effectively and efficiently work from home, and we will continue um, to do that as long as we possibly can. So um, my my words of advice to you would be don't worry. We are going to be as flexible as possible. We want you and your son and um, your family to be safe. And as long as we can continue to work from home and be efficient and effective from home, we will continue to do that, especially those um, with higher risk, as you're right, there's a lot we don't know about COVID-19, and we want to protect you as much as possible. And while we're talking about the new office procedures and hours, I know we have uh, opened up on Tuesdays and Thursdays uh, in person at the offices, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. How's that going? Um, so yeah, so we have opened our offices on Tuesdays and Thursdays with just a very small staff. Um, you know, as I've said before, we've been, uh, very productive with all of our staff working from home, but, uh, we wanted to open our office in case anyone needed to drop anything off. Um, you know, like any type of documents, of course, those can be mailed to us or those can be scanned and emailed, but some folks just prefer to come in person. And so we opened on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We have not seen a whole lot of traffic in our offices. I think at the most, maybe three or four um, individuals have dropped things off, uh, but we'll continue in that fashion for a while just to see if, if we see any increase in a need to increase our office hours. Absolutely. And of course, you can always reach us by phone, 404 656 Five seven. That's Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. And take advantage of our website, decal.ga.gov. All divisions are located there along with contact information for each of them. Uh, we're here to serve, and uh, we are working uh, even harder to serve you even better during COVID-19. And it's time for the Decal Download Quiz, your chance to win a nice prize by answering a question from today's podcast. Send your response to decaldownload at decal.ga.gov. We'll draw one winner from all the correct answers received. Here's the question for this week. Name the two types of visits conducted annually in licensed child care by child care services. Name the two types of visits conducted annually in licensed child care by child care services. Again, the email is decaldownload at decal.ga.gov. All the correct answers, we'll put those together. Draw out one name, you'll win a nice prize. Thanks for playing and good luck. 
Thanks for tuning in to Decal Download. For more information, visit our website at decal.ga.gov. The conversation continues on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. Follow Commissioner Jacobs on Twitter at C-O-M-M Jacobs.